0: We'll get started here with a word of prayer that always helps settle the crowd. Now, Heavenly Father, we bow before you in your presence where two or three gather together. Jesus, you taught us that your presence is here with us, so we thank you, Lord God, for your great love and care. Open the eyes of our understanding that we might make sense of this, all these truths Holy Spirit, the second time through for some of us, I really don't want to just repeat what I just said. I want you to change it up and make it different, make it alive, breathe on this time, because you have something to say to each heart. That's not necessarily what was said last time. So I'm just praying, Lord, that you'd open my eyes and, and speak through me and lead me in the way that you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Today, we are going to hear about the church that changed the world. It's the first Christian church. You know, when you think of church and you picture church as all non-Jewish Christian, mostly goyim, is the plural form of goy, which just means nations, right? You know how you picture church? Well, this is the very first Christian church we are going to meet in Antioch here this morning. Um, for 10 years, the church has been Jewish. The church has been spirit-filled, believing Jews who had a really hard time from going from Old Testament to New Testament. It's easy for us. We just turn a page. But for those who were born in the Old Testament and died in the New Testament, uh, giving way to 2,000 years of being Jewish and doing doing relationship with God in a Jewish way. For 2,000 years, customs and laws and traditions and... Uh, The way to know God, in the fullest sense of that uh, term, was to come into relationship with God's people, Israel. There's no other way, and so these uh, Christians, these Jewish Christians, it took them 10 years to get uh, the understanding that they had produced the the God-man, came forth from the Jewish people, born of a Jewish mother, conceived of the Holy Spirit, He is God and he is a man. He is the God man and he comes forth from Israel and he says to the world, I am the light of the world. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened and I, straight to me, I will give you rest. If anyone believes in me, says the God man, even if you die, yet shall you live. If anyone believes in me, The light of the world, you will never walk in darkness. And so it just took the Jewish born-again, spirit-filled church at Jerusalem 10 long years to figure it out. God's been kind of working to bring down the wall of division and all the barriers. But for them, you know, there were a lot of fears and misunderstandings and prejudice that God had to deal with. And so this morning, we're gonna look at the startup church Uh, in a place called Antioch, and probably the most important church that ever existed, and I'll tell you why. Perhaps the most significant church as well. This church single-handedly evangelized the entire Roman Empire, without cell phones, computers, (laughs) without a car, all right, without a a lot of Bible knowledge either, because they were all new Christians, all coming from uh, pagan environments. And so there's just a lot to learn here, many inspiring lessons uh, as we take a look at it. Listen, I want my life to to count. I really do. (laughs) When I I stand before the one who made me, I, I really want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You hit the bullseye. With my grace, you hit the bullseye. I had something in mind for you when I created you, and bam, you made it by my grace. That's what I want to hear. And as a church, I want the church that I pastor uh, to matter. I I, I don't want to go through the motions. Uh, I don't want to play church. Uh, We all know how to play church, and uh, it's really not a lot of fun, especially when you get there and we have to give an account of our lives and of the ministries God entrusted us to. So with that said, if we pay attention to this couple few paragraphs, I believe there are life-changing truths that will help your life and my life to count and our church to make a difference. It's all right here in the first Gentile Christian church that we meet, very first time. Verse 19, Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered, back in chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered by the persecution, those Jewish believers, in connection with Stephen's death, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. But some of them, however, Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. Greeks is another phrase for just Gentiles, non-Jews, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. (laughs) News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During the time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire world. And this actually happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. That's the Jewish Christian church. This they did, sending their gift to the, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So here's our text for reflection this morning. And if I look at it as a quick overview to, to see what kinds of things made this church so phenomenal, what made this church click, I see a few things, as pastors do. We see things in threes, three points, always, right? <laughs> I see believers sharing the good news, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the message, the message, the message, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. That's all we hear about because it's so important. Number two, I see a church being helped by good men, and women for that matter. And thirdly, the congregation is a caring congregation. They're not just all about themselves, they care about people in need. They have compassion. So if you're just thinking to, uh, to abbreviate kind of these concepts, the word of God, devotion to Christ, and compassion for the needy. Those are things that if they're in your heart and they're in the church, you're going to do some great things for God. So let's start with the word of God. You'll underline twice. You'll see the message that they bring and the gospel. And so I I always like to point out, number one, it always starts with God's word, always. It's God's word, Jesus said, listen, you, p- men and women cannot live by just eating physical meals. You must live by every word that comes out of God's mouth, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. It's just an amazing thing that it is the message that comes out of mere mortal lips that is the vehicle which will impart upon belief eternal life. That's how people get saved. We talk about this all the time. It wows me that the phenomenon of changing somebody's destiny eternally because you had a conversation and a cup of coffee. That's how people enter eternal life, through a conversation, through a word. It's not just any word. Listen to how Paul says Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, talk about Jesus, God's word, my story, my testimony. I'm not ashamed of that because, listen, it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It's power in those words. We we take it for granted, But when you share your testimony, you are making a very big difference. Now what encourages me about verses 19 and 20 is the word, you have Jewish believers are scattered, right, and they're telling the message. The word is to speak. It's not preach or teach. The word just simply means it's the same word, to speak. So in conversations, they're moving into Antioch. They're fleeing persecution. They're renting homes, they're finding jobs, they're working, Uh, they're going to school, there are universities there. Uh, They're conducting business, they're going out to the market but they're talking, they're telling. They're living it but they're also speaking words that are, are endued with the spiritual power from heaven to unlock somebody's heart. And upon belief and simple faith and trust, that person will escape hell and end up in eternal life in the paradise of God, ruling and reigning with Christ over what? A conversation. Opening our mouths and just sharing. It's just an amazing thought. God is pleased to save those who believe through the message that is preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Just a powerful, powerful thing. And it's so easy that anybody could do it. I mean, a woman, a Samaritan woman is not supposed to even be talking to Jewish men. She goes back to, or, or her own uh, Samaritan uh, uh, comrades, friends, you know, what have you. She goes back to the village and she says, Come meet a man who has told me all, everything about me. Could this be the Christ? And as a result of her testimony, sharing the good news, starting people to think about Jesus, an entire village is saved. That, uh, just an amazing thing. What is the message? The message, it says, They told the message. The message is this there's a way out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's a new way, a new life, a new father's love. It's just wonderful. So I believe that message and most of you believe that message but the Jews as a nation did not. And so that's why it says to the Jew first, The gospel went to God's people Israel first, to those through whom Christ came, to those uh, he first revealed himself and his word and his promises and his prophecies, to those uh, who he entrusted uh, the very word of God. And listen to how John puts it in in, in, uh, chapter one. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born of the spirit of God. So what do we see here? We see that very truth lived out. He came to the Jews, he came to Israel. Israel, for the most part, rejected. There are some thousands who did receive like Paul the apostle and like the early church, but for by and large, Israel rejected. And so as a result of rejecting Christ and the early Christians, now the Christians go up to Antioch and the door is open to the Goyim, the nations of the world. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, it says that a partial blindness has come over Jews and Israel a partial hardening that there's a veil over them when you preach the gospel until the full number of going come in when that last person says the sinner's prayer opens their heart the holy spirit comes in the bible says romans chapter 11 then all israel shall be saved and so they are temporarily out of the picture a little bit when it concerning Christ and the gospel and they started that way back then when they pushed these guys out of town but as Paul said, their rejection meant riches for the world and now everybody in Antioch is going to uh, be blessed because the gospel goes there. Now here's where they went in this persecution your text tells you and I've got a map to kind of help us here. It says they fled, so in, in uh, chapter 8 and verse 4, uh, God lets the heat be turned up a little bit and these uh, Jewish Christians flee for their lives. And, and your text says, so some of them, here's Israel, some of them went from Jerusalem north to Phoenicia. This would be modern-day Libya, all right? So they fled up here, they settled there, then he said, some of them took a boat and settled at Cyprus. And then he says, some of them settled in Antioch. Now, there are 16 Antiochs in the Bible to know about, just about. So this one is in southern, this is all Turkey. This is in southern Turkey today, or Syria back in the day. Now, that's 300 miles that they fled. And they're living in Antioch. It's about the distance to Medford, Oregon or Bakersfield if you're thinking in reverse. It's the third largest city in the then known world. Rome, Alexandria, and then Antioch. And uh, it's got a population of a half a million people. And from here, this is why this is so phenomenal. The gospel comes here, they form the first Christian church that we think of, right? And the whole Roman Empire, is going to be evangelized. Paul the apostle will be sent by them and Barnabas three times on three different missionary journeys. That's where we're gonna get Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians one and two, Thessalonians one and two, Philippians, the Romans, all traced back to one church. Brand new believers coming from a totally wicked, immoral city like Antioch. You know, Antioch is a common term for the names of churches. You know, Baptist churches like to name their churches uh, uh, Antioch Baptist Church because we are indebted to those Christians there because they're the ones who evangelized Asia Minor and Europe for the very first time. It all comes back to them. The Jewish church wasn't They kind of dropped the ball a little bit. They were into, yeah, let's save the Jews, but mm, you know, they didn't plant the church. They did not plant that church. This is not a daughter church. It's a church that happened because there were some regular Christians who were persecuted, who started talking about Jesus and the good news, and it started a church there, and then they had some pretty good teachers, and bam, the whole world. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about uh, this place. Uh, It was a very cosmopolitan place worldly place, sexual immorality. Uh, They believed they had their gods and their goddesses on every corner. They believed that Apollo um, turned Daphne into a laurel tree. So they had a laurel grove there in Antioch. And I can't even mention to you what kind of immorality practiced as worship went on in that city. Antioch was known also for chariot, races for gambling and one writer said they really are the Las Vegas of the ancient world <laughs> <laughs> they had money and resources and downtown was paved in marble and they had marble colonnades it was the only city in the Roman world to have street lamps the only one and so it was a real kind of happen in place and leave it to the genius of God to in this dark a Gentile city with everything going forward and the envy of all the world to bring the gospel and to turn that city upside down and then use those Gentiles, spirit-filled, to change the world. It's a pretty amazing thing. I like what Paul said. In, in, into the darkness, the light shines uh, onto those who were separated from the life of God. Uh, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts and then uh, so your text says okay so some escaped right some of the Hebrews born again Christians went up they went to Antioch and uh, one seventh of Antioch was Jewish so there were Jewish neighborhoods and Jewish synagogues and, and they had their little customs and quarter of the city right so they only spoke to the Jews well You know, can you blame them? They're the Hebrews. They speak Hebrew. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, you don't have to worry about what they're eating. And, you know, you can reach out to the Jews because you you are one, but now you're like filled with the spirit and you believe in Jesus. So a lot of them just did that. Then there were these daring souls. And the Bible says that they, your text says that they were foreign-born Jews. So they're Jews, they're Christians, but they were born in Cyprus, like Barnabas was, all right? And they were. Uh, one was born in uh, Cyrene, Libya, all right? So we've got a Jew from here and a Jew from here, Jews from these places. They go there and they say, you know what? Look around us, gentlemen. Maybe we should preach the gospel to these kinds of people. Hey, Peter had some good success with uh, Cornelius and a house full of uh, Gentiles, uh, there's an there's a Ethiopian Headed to that magnif- Magnificent continent of Africa uh, The Samaritans Have been filled with the Holy Spirit How about here? But, you know, so I imagine You know, they just kind of Bought some pizzas And, and hang, uh, hung out in front of the Laurel Grove And some of the guys Coming by and saying Hey guys, come on You're going to the, to the grove tonight? I say, hey, Amen. Jesus has come into my heart and life. God, God has created sex for a husband and a wife. It's a sacred thing, man. That's, that's not for us. That's not the way God created us. And they never heard these things before. And they were drawn in because a few daring souls said, you know what, we're not going to write them off. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. They're pretty offensive. You know, but you know what? Isn't that what the gospel's all about? Didn't Jesus say? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Brothers, let's, let's do this. And the hand of the Lord was upon them. And as they shared the good news, a great number of people, thousands of people in pagan Antioch are turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this before we move on. Do not write off anybody as too uh, immoral or too out there because the gospel is for everybody, and with God, all things are possible. Amen? Who would have ever uh, imagined? Thank you for the map. Now, uh, amazingly, the word gets back to the Jewish Christian church, the main church headquarters, that this is going on up in Antioch. Amazing. No emails, no cell phones, but they found out. They found out about Samaria. They found out about Cornelius, They know word travels. And so they found out, and this is our second point now, devoted leaders. Uh, They may have missed out on planning the church, Jerusalem, but they're not going to miss out on on encouraging her. So they're going to send Barnabas, uh, a devoted man. It's going to be Barnabas and Saul, but soon in chapter 13, it's going to be Paul and Barnabas. Now, I think it's first uh, worth mentioning that where there's a work of God in the New Testament, there's always a leader every single time. You cannot find in the New Testament a work of God or a church without a leader, always. Titus chapter one and verse five, Paul tells Titus, appoint elders in every church, every church, uh, In Acts, coming up in chapter 14 and verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders in each church. There's always leaders. Why? Interesting. Why not let these guys just go at it? They're all saved. They all have the Holy Spirit. Come on, guys, do church. No, because God saw fit to to gift the church with pastors and teachers, to help them understand, to grow in God's will, to to be taught. I, I like what Ephesians 4 says. God has gifted the church with pastors and teachers and evangelists. Their responsibility, and I'm quoting now, Ephesians chapter 4, their responsibility is to equip, equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. Until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord. Listen to this. Then we will no longer be children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. That's the New Living Translation of Ephesians chapter four. And so God wants his people To be well-grounded in truth, well-taught, well-fed. That is what the word poimen, shepherd, or pastor means. The number one duty. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That is what uh, God has ordained for his people. Um, He wants them well-protected as well. So, The Holy Spirit is just the right guy for this church at Antioch, the best choice for such a special task, um, Barnabas. Now, he wasn't born with that name. He was born with the name Joe, Joseph, all right? But once you hung around this guy, you knew a nickname was in order, all right? So they started calling him, hey, Joe, hey, Barney, Barnabas, because Barnabas meant Mr. Encouragement. Son of encouragement. He was always helping. In fact, as you know, and I've mentioned before, 12 times in the scriptures, we find Barnabas' name. And every time he's helping. It's just an encouragement. And we, and we know why here. We see uh, his spiritual profile is giving, given here. And he's someone we can all uh, imitate or emulate for sure. Listen to this description. He was a good man. The Holy Spirit is endorsing this guy as a good man. Now, we know that there's no such thing as a good man. Romans chapter 3 says, for all of sin, there's no such thing as a good man. But if you're full of the Holy Spirit and faith, God can make you a good man or a good woman. Can you imagine at, at your funeral to, for somebody to say, hey, he, he was a good man. She was a good woman. That's what we all crave. We want to hear that. We want to know that we were a, a, a truly good person, not an exaggerated, right? Uh, a good man. A good man doesn't leave his wife and kids for a new love interest. He got a little bored, and wants to trade her in for a newer model, right? A good woman doesn't tear down her house with her own hands. She builds it up. A good man doesn't break his promises. He keeps them. A good woman doesn't cause division, divide people. She brings healing. She brings people together. She's a peacemaker. As you would say about her, she's a good woman. A good man doesn't tear people down. But as Ephesians chapter 4 says, not one word comes out of his mouth except To edify or to build up. That's what we're all commanded to do. This guy is a good man. He's got the gift of encouragement that we find in Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. He was like Jesus. Luke says he went around doing good, Jesus. It was all about you, it was all about making things better, improving, being hopeful, optimistic. You know, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. We've talked about full of the Holy Spirit before as not so much more of the Spirit in your heart, but uh, less of you and more yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, I like different phrases that, quite frankly, I've made up with my brother. We call them rhymanisms. (laughs) I've taught you a few of them. For example in our early days, my brother and I were at Bible College and we were talking about a guy on campus who was really friendly and uh, not threatening, you know, didn't have an agenda, you don't feel anything, you just felt really open and free with. And so one of us said, you know, he's, and I've told you this before, he's really ears down. Now, meaning like when a dog sees you and isn't gonna bite you, he puts his ears down. Like, don't worry, I'm not gonna bite you today. (laughs) Or right at this moment, right? So even today, when I meet somebody like that, I might describe them as how oh, they're really ears down. Nobody knows what I mean, <laughs> except you guys or my family. Now, I was at the the retreat, the conference, and uh, a good-looking pastor with a lot of hair, <laughs> well dressed. I mean, I'm already intimidated. Like uh, I, I'm sitting on an Ad- Adirondack chair that's big enough for two people. He came. And he sat in that chair with me. So, first of all, I'm like, you're in my airspace. Uh, But I moved over a little bit. And I'm like, (laughs) you know. And he says, so, first question, after a little small talk, how big is your church? And I kind of felt like, okay, we're going to play the game. No, all right. Should I say 12 or 12,000? That's what I'm thinking, right? Because either way, I could probably kind of throw him off, you know. So... The next question, what's your annual budget? Third question, can you guess? Square footage of your building. Now, you know what? I don't call that ears down. I call that ears up and teeth bared. I didn't feel comfortable, I feel like, oh, do we have to, do we have to do this? I really don't want to, you know? And plus, please get up, and you're way too close to me in this chair. <laughs> All right. so. We've got a term. When my brother and I went to Bible college, there was, uh, obviously there were certain more spiritual Christians and some were not so spiritual and we came up with a term for the spiritual ones. The spiritual ones were, you know, the shiny eyes and just the way they talked, really pure and and uplifting and morally clean, they felt like. And you can, soft-hearted, merciful, really helpful, you know, positive, just a bright love for God, other-centered. And one day, we were describing somebody like that, and we we go, oh yeah, he's knocked out, meaning the Holy Spirit had delivered a knockout punch (laughs) to the sinful person inside. And that person, in their sinfulness, has been knocked out and instead of that person, you have this new life, this Holy Spirit kind of person with bright eyes and always upbeat and clean and other-centered and humble and helpful and willing. And, and we just said, hey, yeah, that, he's knocked out. Now, now, Barnabas was just ears down and knocked out. <laughs> now, he's the kind of guy to come up and sit in the at a Rondeck chair and say, Hey man, where your Where's your church? How's it going up there? How are you handling the stream, buddy? Hey, is there something I could pray with you about your church? How's your wife and kids, man? That's tough, isn't it? Man, be up there, you know, people talking and all of that. You're doing a good job, I bet. You're doing a good job. Hang in there. That's a Barnabas. That's the ears down. That's a knocked out guy. He doesn't care because he's knocked out. He doesn't care. And in fact, if he hears that your church is bigger and stronger and doing greater things, he's rejoicing. And that's what we find in Barnabas. That's what we find in Barnabas. He's a good man. Now, first of all, you see that he sees evidence for the grace of God. Love it because he has the Holy Spirit. He's wise. He's wise. Right. So he goes in and he doesn't fall for a lot of talk and emotion, a lot of spiritual talk. Oh, yeah. God is moving there. You know what? He goes in and says, I want to see some evidence. And what's the evidence? I want to hear a lot of Jesus. I want to hear that name. I don't want to hear so much God, God, God. Everyone says God. I want to hear Jesus. I want to see a life that has turned from sin and now is walking with God in newness of life and holiness. I wanna see some transformation. They don't know much, you don't need to know much except you used to live this way, now you live this way. I used to be blind, but now I see. That kind of thing, evidence, and he sees it, and he rejoices, and he's the kind of guy, because he has the Holy Spirit, he's humble. You know what, he worshiped there, and they probably had a better worship, uh, had better worship than at home. And he says, "Oh man, boy, you guys, you guys know how to worship God better than us. And uh, you know, you're growing quicker than the church in Jerusalem. And he's happy for someone else's success because the kingdom of God is what matters. Because he's a good man. There's zeal for God, but it has to be in accordance with knowledge. And that's where he's looking for evidence. And so, with the Holy Spirit." He encourages them. And look at how sweet this encouragement is. Oh, man, what a way to encourage. He says, listen, now remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. And the Greek is to cleave to the Lord. To have nothing between. It's sort of like a marriage. Uh, The word also means to hang out with or to live or to dwell with. So here's what he's saying. He says, you guys, you don't know a whole lot right now. You know you're saved. Stick with Jesus. Be loyal. Let nothing between come. Oh, I love this hymn. It's one of my favorites. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. None of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and my Savior so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. That's the secret. Nothing between. Take your sandals off. Put your bare feet on this holy ground. Nothing between. What a nice way to think about walking with God. In verse 25, he has the Holy Spirit, so he has humility. He says, you know, I know my limitations. I need some help here. You know, I'm doing baptisms every day. I'm teaching, teaching, teaching. There's a bigger need than I thought. I'm going to go look for the, just the right person. So he's thinking, who, who could come and help me? Uh, Peter. Uh, he's too Jewish. He's just too Jewish. All right. Uh, John. Oh, he's just too sensitive. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and he's a, a, you know, Stephen would be great here. Oh, he's too dead. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> who, what's that guy's name eight years ago? That animal for Jesus, that genius, that guy who got knocked off his horse and then heard the Lord, the Lord appeared to him and he started preaching. Baffling the Jews right away. Where? Saul, brother Saul. So he goes to look for Saul, where they had sent him off eight, ten years before to Tarsus, to his homeland. And remember it said, and they sent Saul off and the church had peace. (laughs) It was kind of nice. Because either way, he wreaked havoc. But once he got saved, he was, man, he was ready to rock. And everybody knew his calling. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And so he had this huge uh, calling and he was hard to find. It says that he searched for him. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, uses a rare word for look for. It's only, he only uses it twice in all of that volume. The first time was when Jesus was misplaced by Mary and Joseph. Joseph and Mary left Jesus in Jerusalem. One thought, he, Joseph said, hey, I thought he was with you. Mary said, I thought he was with you. They got three days out. They said, uh, where's Jesus? Oh, funny, funny. You have him, right? No. So they've misplaced the Messiah. This is bad. <laughs> and it says they went and searched for him. You better believe that was an intense search. This is the same word. He goes to Tarsus, where's that guy? They go to the house. He's not there. Why? His wife has left him. He's lost all things. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 and 9. He lost everything. A Pharisee had to be married. He lost his wife. He lost that. Nobody knows where he is. Where is he? He's suffering somewhere. A lot of that suffering that happened happened during those years. And so he finds him. He brings him back, now now can you imagine the church at Antioch, come on. The greatest mind in the Christian world with the greatest heart. Barclay, commentator, calls Barnabas the man with the greatest, biggest heart in the Bible. So these two come together, it's no wonder that as a result of that anointing with the Holy Spirit that it produced disciples that are called Christians for the very first time, and it stuck. But it was meant as a derogatory term. The last suffix there, I-A-N in Latin, means belonging to, and it really meant somebody who, that's all they think about, that's all they talk about, that's all they want to know. Jesus this. Jesus died for me. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's coming back. He's preparing a place. Jesus is coming again. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus changed my life. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, I live for Jesus. Oh, you should love Jesus. You need Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is Lord. So they said, you know, oh, have you met them? The Christ people. Because they're all about Jesus, right? Do we live up to that? Oh, come on. 86%, 86% of America, by the polls, are Christ people. Seriously? (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, No, 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 no. I don't know what they mean by that. I ask so many times. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am don't know Jesus. How can you be a Christian if you're not? Uh, 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 so when did you get saved? Saved from what? <laughs> what do you mean saved from what? You just said you were a Christian. What church you go to? <laughs> yeah. You know, have you ever heard that church before? Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> I know. How can you be a Christ person and not know him or read your Bible or go hang out with other Christ people, right? It's a pejorative term, and it stuck. You know, uh, my friend and brother here, you know him as Sammy the Romanian. (laughs) And uh, he grew up in, guess where? (laughs) Romania, very good. And uh, the state religion there is Eastern Orthodox, where 81% are Christian, And 1% are evangelical born-againers. Now, the Romanians have a word for people like Sammy who grew up in a born-again Christian household. They're called the repentant. Oh. Oh, you're one of those. And Sammy was teased and needled all through his childhood. Oh, you're a repented one. Because... There are all you kinds of Christians talk about, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to get on your knees, you need to accept Jesus, you need to be repenting, repenting, repenting. So that name stuck, the, the repented. You know what, whether you're a Jesus freak or whether you're a repented one or you're a Christ person, you know what, here's what the Christ said. For it's lightning that comes From the east and is visible even to the west, so will it be at the coming of the Son of God. John writing in Revelation Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those who have pierced him, and all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. And then we will be vindicated. Then people will say, Oh, no wonder when they see that face and the lightning in the sky and the trumpet and all the miraculous glory of God, they're going to go, oh, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus that. Oh, now I get it. A little late, but you get it, you see. And so they were called Christians. Let's live up to that word. That's who you are. If you call yourself one, you better be all about him. So Antioch How's the church now? People are sharing the good news. There's a little PS here. They're led by good men and women are, are serving their able teachers. And now the church is seen as a fruit of all of this. They have a caring heart to, toward those who are in need. So our last little uh, point closes out with a nice touch. Here's how you know the Holy Spirit's in a, working in a church. It's not all about them not all about them, not all about their square footage and their uh, annual budget and how fast they're growing. You know, it's not all about wonderful teachers or the rock, the rock, the rock. Who cares about the rock? Who cares about the rock if the compassion of Christ is not in our hearts? Amen? Amen. Because it's a dead church then, you see? So, First of all, notice something very interesting. Let me summarize it just to be fresh. During those days, a man with the gift of prophecy stands up. His name's Agabus. He predicts a terrible famine that's coming. The congregation stirred up and wants to help who? Wants to help the Jewish church, the Christian Jewish church that lives in a rural farming area. They do not. They're business people. They live in a big city. They have resources and money. But now they know, oh, no, the Jewish Christian church is going to be in trouble. And so they decide, we're going to help them. We're going to, we're going to collect a love offering to send to the elders of the church, which is always in finances in the scriptures, that elders handle the finances. And they send it to the elders of the Jerusalem church. Uh, By the hands of Paul and Barnabas. And by the way, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about that journey that he takes with Barnabas to the Jerusalem church. The first thing I want to show you is that it's not the parent church sending the mission church money, it's the mission church sending the should be parent church. Now, can you imagine? A few people saying, hey, man, they're going to be in trouble, they're all farmers. What are they going to do? They're the root of this branch. We're the branch. But we owe everything to our Jewish brothers, man. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. None of them says, where were they when we were dying in our sins up here? Oh, kosher this, kosher that. Oh, goy, 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 right? Oh, now we have to dig deep and bail them out. Did they even send it? Yeah, they send Barnabas after they find out that we're here, hello, No bitterness. They've got the Holy Spirit. They're going to forgive. They want to send and help. It's a very Christian thing to be nice to somebody who hasn't been nice to you. It is a very Christian thing to be thoughtful towards someone who wasn't thoughtful to you. You didn't help me when I needed you but that's not going to stop me or us from helping you in your time of need. You see, the Holy Spirit's doing a work. They didn't invite our kids. We're not inviting their kids. You didn't include me. I'm not going to include you. Jesus said to that kind of thinking, what is wrong with you guys? How are you different from anybody in the world? The world loves people who love them the world loves people who, who can give them something back. How about being a little different, like responding in an opposite spirit? If somebody insults you, you, say, go ahead, insult me again. It doesn't really matter. I'm all about, you know, you. Someone forces you to go a mile. Why don't you say, hey, you know what? I, I'm free for a little bit. I can take this two miles. If someone sues you for your coat, throw in a jacket, you know, throw in something else. The mother church has not been very motherly. (laughs) Now that they're hurting, they're going to be hurting. Let's, let's do something nice for them. How healing and humbling to the Jewish church to get money. So here comes Paul and Barnabas. They say, Hey, the church is doing good. All Gentiles, all of them. And here's a check. Check. For 10,000 drachma. I just made it up. I don't know what that is. But it sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It's going to turn out to be a quarter. (laughs) Woo, they gave a quarter. Uh, How humbling and how healing. Listen, God is able to do healing and seal the deal. They're sending it to their brothers. And these Jews who have had such a hard time with Gentiles are so humbled and say, man, They felt an obligation. They received something of a spiritual inheritance. They give back materially. It's a beautiful thing. The gift of prophecy, you know, Warren Wiersbe said, the purpose of a true prophetic word is not to satisfy our curiosity, but to stir our hearts to do God's will. The gift of prophecy, the word prophecy, really is a general word that, that basically means to proclaim God's word and build somebody up. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, hey, I would let everybody prophesy because you're speaking God's word and building people up. And I think that we do this more than we realize that we have the gift of, or the manifestation of wisdom, knowledge, words of knowledge, Uh, words of discernment and prophetic words as we walk around talking about Jesus and his word, singing psalms and melodies, spiritual songs to one another, speaking God's word. I believe that God uses us in these ways to this very day. The right word to say at the right moment that unlocks a great big mystery. Those kinds of things happen to spirit-filled people. And in this case, God was saying, heads up, you've got an opportunity to not only help them physically, but to bridge something a lot deeper, the heart problems. And when we do things like that, respond in an opposite spirit like Christ would, there's healing that comes. Those two churches will never be the same. After they receive that money, hey, we're eating. We have food on the table. Why? The goyim. The Goyim Church sent money. They sent us money. We didn't send them anything, except Barnabas. That was nice. That was a really good gift, by the way, Barnabas. But so reflection: a church that makes a difference or a Christian life that counts. A few things. It starts with the primacy of the Word of God, the Gospel. Make it the center of your life. Good hearted people, because they're fully yielded to God, their ears down and they're knocked out. Amen? They cleave to Jesus. They're not 99% faithful. Remember, I said, How would your wife like to know that you've been 99% faithful to her? <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. And I've been 99% faithful to you, too. <laughs> and wrong amen (laughs) right let's not be 99% faithful to him then right and compassion giving caring right unborn little children we give to pregnancy counseling center every month we try to increase it every year why Because there's a need there. Who's going to protect those little kids? uh, Women go in there thinking they're in Planned Parenthood. Surprise. They're not. They're in a Christian clinic that's going to pray you out of doing harm to that little baby. Right? We give to them because we care about them. The Redwood Gospel Mission is a place a lot of people avoid. We give every month. I want to increase that giving. We go down there. We have a presence there. We mentor some of the men here. They're sitting here this morning in the service. We care about them. And if somebody says, hey, come help me in China. I'm by myself over there. Come and help us. There's a little house church. There's 500 people. You can encourage them. I'll say, oh, okay, let's pray about this. Yeah, want to help? Somebody asked me. it's not in my notes. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody asked me, what's your dream? One of the pastors asked me at the conference where we were just rocking around on the porch. What's your dream? What's the dream? And the first thing that came to my mind was do more. I want to do more. I don't want to be more. I don't care about how big we grow. I just want to do more. I want to impact this world for the kingdom of God. I want to make a difference. I want God, this is my prayer for me and the church, I want God to get his biggest bang for his buck out of my life and out of our church. Amen? Amen. All right. Are you with me with that? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all glory and honor goes to you. If anything good comes of our lives or in this church, it's because of your good spirit. Thank you for the truths in this chapter that could just Revolutionize our hearts and lives. Apply them. Help us to apply them every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to do more. I want him to do more while I learn how to be knocked out. All right? I want him to deliver the knockout punch. I'm going to work on that. because when we're knocked out and new life comes up, we're going to do great things for him. Imagine if we were all knocked out and ears down. Would that be awesome? Amen. That would be pretty awesome. we do some pretty amazing things without sinful self dogging us. Speaking of dogs, again, there I go. All right. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We we commit ourselves now to your care. Go with us and help these truths to bubble forth into our lives and through our lives and overflow us in wonderful ways. Let us be Christ people today, tomorrow, and forever the same. Christian, Christ people, Christ followers. In Jesus' name, amen.